Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. I'm going to be speaking on one of the most problematic passages in the New Testament. And the reason why it's so problematic is because whatever is said about this passage, it causes a great lot of upset. I am sure, absolutely convinced actually, that when Owen gave me this passage to preach on, he was giggling with delight as he imagined you guys throwing rotten tomatoes at me, and those people listening to this on the podcast sending me hate mail for the next few weeks. I'm sure he thought of that. Anyway, um, and the other thing that I want to ask Owen and Moena actually today is, um, was it you that opened our bedroom window last night? Because um, I have a sneaky suspicion that you climbed in through our bedroom window last night and read all my notes. So there you go. (coughs) Right. So anyway, the passage we're going to be speaking on today, or looking at today, is John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. It's where Jesus turns the water into wine. I've actually turned to Matthew, which is not a very good thing. But John chapter 2, verses 1 to 11 even. And it reads something like this when I find it. Here we go. I'll get there in a minute. Pages right, here we go. <clears throat> On the third day, a wedding took place <clears throat> at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, <clears throat> and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine had got, was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. He told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tested the water that had been uh, turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests I've had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. This was the first of the miraculous signs Jesus performed in Cana of Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Okay, now before I start looking at this passage, I want to point something out to you. In fact, I want to really, really stress this out to you. And that is... God does not just tell us to do what he tells us to do. He also tells us to live our lives exactly how he lives his life out too. That's why he came down to earth as a man, Jesus Christ, so that he could be an example to us. That way we could learn to talk like Jesus, think like Jesus, walk like Jesus, well maybe not dress like Jesus, but you you get the general picture. That is why we have the nickname, it's not our official title, but we have the nickname Christian. 
We are called little Christs, so that when people see us, they should also see Jesus. <clears throat> so I want you just to keep that in your mind as I'm preaching. In fact, I want you to keep that in your mind for the rest of your lives. Right. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 11. The first thing I want to point out about this passage is often overlooked by so many Christians. And I think it's overlooked because of the wine. They're so hung up about the wine, the water, and they miss this major point. And I just want to point this major thing out to you. And that was that Jesus and his disciples were invited to this wedding. They were actually invited to this party. Okay. Now, if we are to live our lives as Jesus lived his life, if we're meant to have the same personality and qualities that Jesus got, then we should also live our lives in such a way that other people that know us would want to invite us to their parties and social gatherings. One of the reasons... Why, well, one of the reasons why the Pharisees hated Jesus so much, besides the fact that uh, his theological teachings on um, grace, was because Jesus was basically a fun guy. People loved to be with him. He told jokes, he did wacky things, out of the, uh, extraordinary, bizarre things he did. They didn't want to be with boring old doom and gloom Pharisees. They wanted to be with Jesus, because he was such a great laugh to be with. Sadly, and I don't know why this has happened, but through the years, Christians have got it into their minds that the best way that we could show our spiritual fruit is to suck half a lemon all day long. Which is wrong. We ought to be showing our spiritual fruit, our biblical spiritual fruit, show love, peace, all that sort of thing. Not standing up and showing the world that we're a bunch of religious nuts. Now sadly, and like I said, I don't know why this is, so I do know what it is, But sadly, Christians have got a lot of bad press these days. An awful lot of bad press. They laugh at us, and they mock us, and we let them do it. And I hate it. I really hate it. But I can see why they do it. I only have to walk down to Doncaster Town, and I see them stood there with their begging bowls. Save the church roof. Please save the church roof. And there's these guys, they stand there, ah, and they look as if they're about to be shot. They really do. And they stand there and they go, war cry, war cry, or be a Christian like me, follow Jesus. And it's awful. It's just, now I, I agree with what they're doing. I think it's great what they're doing. But it's how they're doing it is just absolutely diabolically awful. And you go to some churches, oh, on holiday we went to a couple of churches and it was just, it was like going to a funeral. It really was. It was just, the worship was that awful. It was, Friedrich, I'm going to get this right now, I'm not very good, you have to help me. Friedrich Nietzsche, is that how you pronounce his name? Great theologian, uh, not theologian, uh, atheistic philosopher, yeah. He said, God is, what's that? God is dead. Yeah, he said, God is dead. If you don't believe me, go down to the church. They're singing a dirge to him. Now listen. Jesus did die on the cross. And I agree with that. He did die on the cross. But, come on. We don't need to cry about it. We don't need to mourn about it. We don't need to show the world that we're so miserable and upset because Jesus died on the cross. Come on. He's rose from the dead. He's beat sin. He's beat death. And he's alive today. Surely that's not worth celebrating, yeah? Yeah. Oh. Come on, I've got the mic. I've got the mic. Come on, you've got the world today. Yeah. Right, okay, brilliant, fantastic. Right, anyway, where was I? Let me climb off my obby oars. 
Anyway. Jesus and his disciples. Someone's turned the music up. Jesus and his disciples had been invited to the wedding. Right? Now we don't know whose wedding it was, okay? but commentators would tell us whoever's wedding it was, it's, they're pretty sure that the couple getting married were quite poor. They were not a very wealthy couple. That's why they had to ask Mary to help out sorting the wedding out. Okay? So they were not very wealthy. And uh, we don't know who they were. But one thing we do know for sure about this wedding is in that culture, at that time, weddings would last up to, say, 7 to 14 days to celebrate. Isn't that good? Fantastic. I'd like to go to a wedding like that. It'd be brilliant. 17, 14 days dancing around and celebrating a wedding. Brilliant, eh? But it was really important for the hosts of that wedding to keep the guests thoroughly entertained and happy at all times. And so, to run out of wine was a major, very, very major problem. It was a problem for two, well, for several reasons. Obviously, they wanted to keep the guests happy. But it was also a major problem because if at any time at a wedding they run out of wine, the guests had every right to sue the wedding hosts. How about that? Going to a wedding, run out of wine, so you can sue them. Well, look at that, eh? Flipping, eh? So, obviously, this wedding had run out of wine. They had a major problem. So what did the servers of that, the servers of that wedding do? They panicked and they ran to Mary for advice. Mary turned to Jesus for help. Now let's not get too spiritual on that point because uh, Mary would have normally turned to her husband and asked him for help. But it's thought, generally thought by most people at that time, because we don't read about Joseph any time after Jesus' birth, that he died long before this event happened. And so she, Mary had to turn to her oldest son, who happened to be Jesus, and ask him to help her to stop the wedding being a big flop. Now, I want to stress this. I've got to stress this to you. Because a lot of people forget this at this point, And they say, well, we can understand why she went to Jesus. Okay? Until the point where Jesus turned water into wine, Jesus had never, never, ever done a miracle in his life. Now, some of you may have heard, some of you may have been read, that when Jesus was a little child... He used to walk along the street and see a dead bird. He'd pick it up and it would fly off to wherever dead birds fly off to. Right? That never happened. It was a load of old tosh, honestly. Jesus had never done a miracle up until this point. And so Mary had no recollection. She had no memories whatsoever. Coming home from the tabernacle, finding that the roast chicken had been burnt to a cinder. Jesus puts a cloth over it and then while he pulls it off and there's roast lamb, roast potatoes and all the works. That is not, did not happen. It was rubbish. It never ever happened. No miracles up until this point. Okay. Now, some people think that Jesus was a cute, mild-mannered man with uh, long golden the blonde, wavy hair, blue piercing eyes, and the most loveliest smile. Well, that's actually some sort of medieval propaganda picture that was handed down through the churches. And although we don't know exactly 
what Jesus looked like, we can get a rough, vague, general idea of what it would look like. For starters, because of the part of the world where he was born and where he was brought up in, he wouldn't have had a white skin, blue eyes and blonde hair. Okay? And uh, secondly, because of the type of job that he had, being a construction worker, he'd have had to have short hair because it had been too dangerous for him to work in that environment. They did have haircuts, even in the time of Esther, people cut their hair short, and in fact, apparently, it was quite a trendy thing to do at the time of Esther. So they did have haircuts then. Also, he'd have been quite muscular because, and quite butch as well because he'd been used to picking up great big heavy logs or beams as well. Uh, and he'd been used to getting his hands dirty, he'd have sweated and he'd have worked hard along with his workmates as well. Also, Jesus knew why he had been put on earth. He knew that he was there to die on that cross, to save the world from sin, and he was focused. So when Mary comes up to him, I don't really know what she thought he could do, but when Mary came up to him and said, look, the wedding's run out of wine, what are we going to do about it? Jesus turned to her and he told her straight, woman, what's this got to do with me? Now some commentators, there's a lot of differences in this, but some commentators would say that Jesus was actually being affectionate to her. But uh, no matter what translation I've read, um, <clears throat> even the NIV puts it a bit softer than what I've put. Um, what does he say there? He says, uh, uh, Woman, dear woman, why do you involve me? That's what the NIV says. <clears throat> but no matter how you try and say it, I can't see how um, that's a nice way of putting anything. But most of the commentators that I like looking at are the ones that actually delve into history, that look at the culture, and they would say that Jesus had actually been harsh with his mother and been stern because he is focused on what he should do. And this seemed quite trivial, maybe. Some people, um, some of the commentators had various views, there's no one strict thing, but a lot of people seem to be saying that actually what Mary was doing, she was being what most mums do really, really well, and that was embarrassing her grown-up son. They're so good at it. I don't know why mums can do it. They're they so good. I mean, look, Jesus was 30 years old. He'd left home. He could look after himself, you know. He'd got muscles. He could do all sorts. He had his mates around him. You know, it was at the beginning of his ministry. He needed to do something, to start off something, looking quite, you know, make the world look at him a little bit and just start off with a bit of a bang, you know. And Mary comes up to him and says, can you pour the wine? And it doesn't sound too good. <clears throat> so... But what does Mary do? You notice Mary's response. Okay? She doesn't go by her feelings. Notice that. She doesn't go by her feelings. Now most of us, if we went up to someone and said something and they was harsh back at us or told us off or rebuked us about something, we sort of shimmer away, don't we? We scour and keep out. We might even badmouth somebody about what they've said, you know, or their attitude. But Mary doesn't. Mary knows Jesus. She understands Jesus. And so when the servants come to her and say, look, we've run out of wine, she says, go and see my son Jesus. You go and talk to him. Listen and do what he tells you. Do everything he says. Now when the servants come up to Jesus and say, look, we've run out of wine, Jesus doesn't take them to one side and say, well, you know, this is divine judgment. You know very well not to have wine. You're not meant to be drinking that stuff. It's good Christians. Meant to be having lots of water. 
And you know what wine does, makes you do naughty things? He doesn't say that to them, right? <clears throat> Jesus knows that in marriage there's enough problems and strife and everything else. He knows all that, you know? So he don't want to start it off, you know, start the wedding, start their marriage off in a bad way. He's gracious and, you know, and he's got compassion. He knows what he's got to do. But sometimes he does do a little detour and he helps us with our trivial things as well. And so he turns the water into wine. Now this is the real key issue now. This is where churches fight over this and they argue over this bit and they say the wine's this and he didn't do this and he did do that. So I looked into this. (coughs) I'm uh, not going to find a denominational flag. I'm just going to say what I've read and uh, I'm... Not like some churches that say, well, this is our stance, and so therefore, this is what we have to interpret it as. Okay? Anyway, so in those days, right, now listen, those days, at weddings, they would water down the wine. They would water down. The reason why they watered down the wine is for several reasons. I don't know if any of you paid for a wedding reception or for a wedding, have you, lately? Anybody? Well, you think about the booze bill that it's going to cost you. Because in those days, you paid for all the booze. And imagine the booze bill for 7 to 14 days worth of drinking it, knocking it back. Right? It's going to be a bit. So they watered it down to let it you know, spread out the cost a bit and last a bit longer. Secondly, the reason why you're going to this wedding celebration is because... Two people who you like, who you think fantastic, have got married. Okay? So you want to celebrate that. Two fantastic people getting married and you want to be joyous and have a great time and celebrate that. The last thing you want is people being stupid at a wedding. Right? I don't know if you've been down the pub lately or even been in Doncaster or even you've seen it on the telly. Just after a few hours of knocking back a few drinks, they're out there fighting, they're out there knocking things over and doing stupid things. They don't want to do that at a wedding. They're there to celebrate. They don't want little Reuben trying to pick a fight with Grandma, do they? They want to be there just enjoying themselves and just celebrating this marriage. And that was all it about. <clears throat> now, then, Jesus turns the water into wine. And we can see through what we see in Scripture that he turned it not into grape juice, not into non-alcoholic wine, not even into watered down wine he turned it into proper wine non-diluted wine and the reason we can see that is because if you look it says that when the master drank it he said wow this is really good stuff this is flipping eh now, if it was watered down, if it was non-alcoholic, he wouldn't have noticed the difference. He noticed the difference and said, this is the best stuff, this is, this is really good stuff, this is. So we can see it was alcoholic. And Jesus didn't just sort of say, oh, here's a little bottle, you know, here's a bottle of wine I've made for you. He made 20 to 30 gallons of the stuff. So, and for anybody to say that Jesus made non-alcoholic wine or watered-down wine is basically, in a way, saying that not all that God makes is good. Because everything that God makes is good, including alcohol. Okay? But it's just how we use the things that God's made determines how good and bad we make it. 
Now I'm not saying, please don't misinterpret it, I'm not saying to you, right now, Malcolm said, drinking wine's brilliant, we're going to have a booze up, fantastic, we're going down the off-license, we're going down the pub, this is it. Because some of us, many of us, or some of us, we should not drink alcohol at all. Not a drop, because for some people they have a problem with alcohol. I know somebody in the Leeds church that would say if they had a glass of wine, they would have to have at least four bottles of wine until they flake out, because they just can't handle alcohol. As simple as that. So they don't touch it. And, that's, and also with us, if we might say, well, I can cope, with, I don't have to drink. Sometimes I drink, sometimes I don't. I can cope with alcohol. I can drink as much as I want, no problem. Listen. In Corinthians, it tells us, if we're with a brother that has a problem with a drink, then don't drink. Okay? If we're with them, don't antagonise them and say, you know, go down the pub with them, and they're there with their glass of Coke, and you're with your whiskey or pint of Guinness, and saying, yes, I don't have a drink, that's fine. You shouldn't do that, because two reasons. One, you're saying, I'm better than you, because I can drink. Although you're not really saying it, but that's what's coming across. And secondly, you could be putting temptation in their way, and that's not good either. Okay, so we mustn't do that. So, so it's not always good to drink, but it's good to have a little drink now and again if we if we can. Now we also need to remember that it was Jesus that turned the water into wine, and Jesus is fantastic. He's brilliant. Do you think? Yes. yes. Yeah. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> so Jesus is brilliant, now. and he can turn water into wine. All right. But he can also change the impossible. He can. He can change marriages that are dry, dusty. Marriages that are going, seem to be going nowhere. They've got no life into them. And he can breathe life into them to make them exciting. Where you can lose your inhibitions with each other. Where you can be joyful and do things together and make you feel freer in that marriage than if you were single. Also, if you're um, just living your life and you're going nowhere and you think it's a boring old life and you're going, it's just rubbish. Again, Jesus can turn your life around and he can give you life to the full. He can make your life a, a, a journey of adventure. And I know that Jesus has changed some of your lives, hasn't he? I'm hoping you're going to say yes, because at this point, I'm getting a bit bored of my voice, and so I'm going to ask one or two of you to stand up and say how Jesus has changed your life. I'll turn it around. So hurry up, because my roast pork's getting burnt, so come on. Come on. Anyone, I don't care. Just come up here and tell us how Jesus has Come on up here, because this mic's here, and they can't hear it. And then 
and um, friendships grew as well. And from there on, obviously, we went on to do other things. And um, yeah, I can't turn back. I could never, never turn my back on God. No way. So whatever happens, and, and I'm not saying there won't be hard things in future times. There will be, I dare say, but I can never turn my back on God. Great, fantastic. Next, quick, hurry up. <laughs> right, if it weren't for God, I wouldn't be here. Because um, shortly after I became a Christian, just before I married David, I went into like major depression. And for about two years, I lived with a sort of suicide every day. But because I'd become a Christian, because God was there for me, I hung on with my fingertips, and he did. He rescued me, he lifted me out of that pit. If it hadn't been for him, I'd have finished it all. Fantastic. Oh. Hey, that's brilliant. Hey, thanks. No, isn't that good? Go on then, go on then. If you've got a voice, go on then. Come on. Well, getting Jesus in here turned me upside down and inside out. Because my focus changed and my reason for living changed. And before it was, I was working down there as a hospital administrator and all I could see was this career path. And that was it. Everybody else, you know, and that was it. I was going for it. And that just all disappeared, and it's just a different focus, and it's about living for other people rather than yourself. Thank you. Hey, thank you. That is fantastic, marvellous. Now, this is what it's all about, you see, coming together to celebrate and be joyous in that, because the reason why all the time God says to us, come together and share what God's been doing, because he knows it's, it's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. I reckon, to be honest with you, because that's come up quite a bit, I reckon we should have a big banner saying that for our church. I think that's our church's motto, the joy of the Lord is our strength. I think that's fantastic for us. I think that's pretty good. A little hint there, folks, but anyway. And also, it's good. The Bible tells us, God all the way through the Bible says, come together, rejoice with each other. He says, share everything with one another. Come together, have a big meal together. Have, you know, he says, you know, eat, drink and be merry. Obviously, moderation, you know, a little bit of wine is good. But have fun together, come together and share with what God has been doing with you. Now, as I was studying this, it came to me. Well, why don't we do that? Let's have a bring and share. Okay? You can tell the others that aren't here. Right? We'll work it out in a few weeks' time. Okay, what we're going to do, we're going to have a bring and share. Right? And I'm not talking about crisps and sandwiches and stuff. I'm talking about some of us are going to bring cooked rice, uh, lasagna. Someone's going to bring the wine. Someone's going to bring the soft drink. Someone's going to bring desserts. All right? So we'll work, bring and share. We'll come to my house right? and we'll carve it up or whatever we're going to do with it and we'll eat it. And while we're there, we're not going to talk about work. We're not going to talk about the weather because I know it's a fantastic subject. So I like it's brilliant. We're going to talk about what God has been doing in our lives. Okay? Now for some of us who might say, yes, God's done this and it's amazing. And some of us might say, He's an absolute squat in my life. And we're going to talk about it, but we're going to rejoice in it, and we're going to help each other, and it's going to be good. Do you think that's good? Yeah! Fantastic. Well, we'll work it out on Tuesday. We'll get all the details, and that will come together, and we'll say who's bringing what, and why, and when, and we'll work out with the dates, and that'll be fantastic. Marvellous. Fantastic. Because it's good that we do something. It's about time we start putting fun back into the word fundamentalism, isn't it, eh? Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. Right, I'm going to end. I'm going to finish with this point. Hey. Many commentators would say that this event 
was showing us exactly what Jesus was aiming at. Remember this is the first, at the beginning of his ministry, this is what he was showing you he was aiming at. Jesus wanted to be married to the church, the bride of Christ. And then, at the end of all time, we're going to have a great celebration, a party to, to celebrate that marriage. If you look in your Bibles, you'll notice that um, marriage is at the beginning and the end of your Bibles. Also, um, it said that at the beginning of any wedding feast or any meal, you'd have to ceremoniously wash your hands. And so that's what these jars were for. They were showing us, they were a sign for us, to say that Jesus was bringing in the new wine of the kingdom. And that the, 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 the water of Judaism was being turned into the wine of Christianity. I just want to end, uh, close this conclusion. And that was that Jesus didn't... So Jesus went, he did go to the party. The party didn't come to him. He and the disciples actually went to the party. Now some years ago, or not years, some months ago, I asked this question, it was just a general throwaway comment actually, that I sometimes do. I get told off now and again for upsetting you guys, and I don't mean to. I just, uh, I just try and get you to think about your Christian faith. That's all I try and do, but... Um, I just had this throwaway comment that I'd noticed that charismatic churches and charismatic Christians, they there and they say, oh I prophesy and I heal and we do this and it's great and, and I have no problem with that, but I only seem to see it within church walls. I never walk down the street and see people, oh, praying for each other or healing people. I never see that outside the church walls. And Owen jumped up and he said, the reason why we at Gateway only do it within the church walls is because we're practicing. We're just practicing until the time. Well, actually, now you've had 12 months. You've had a year of practicing. And to be honest, I think you should all graduate with a degree because you're so excellent at doing it. So it's about time we went out there and did it for real. Okay? Agree with that? Yeah. Oh, good. Uh, you weren't very enthusiastic on that one, were you? But, okay. Now, you see, Jesus came to this party just because he was invited. But while he was there, he served. And while he was serving, it was the way that he served this married couple made people say, wow, I want to put my trust in him. He's a cool guy. I like this style. I'm going to trust him. Now, the thing I love about this passage, about Jesus and his disciples, they didn't come crashing through the roof on ropes, sliding down ropes like commandos with rucksacks on their backs full of biblical tracts, handing it out, trying to stop people from going to the gates of hell. No, they went to this wedding party to have fun, to celebrate. The reason was because their couple had got married. That's all they went there for. And they were having great time, and it was great fun, and they joined in. They were having a lovely time. But when the opportunity arose, when the opportunity arose, they were able to serve and they were able to demonstrate the power of God. Now, as I come to a close, I'm going to ask you a question. When was the last time you went to the pub to watch a big football match or to play in a uh, pub quiz? Recently? Six weeks. Six weeks. Yeah, I know you do it, Kirchie, quite well. 
Uh, but many Christians don't. They sit at home and think, well, and it's good. Because they go, people go to pubs and they celebrate and they love it. And I think actually pubs are sort of like um, equivalent to our churches, but it's a secular view because they come together, they celebrate, they sing songs together, and they have a good time and they chat. And I think it's a really good. And we could learn a lot from that. But anyway, that's on the side issue. But I thought it'd be um, really good if we went to a pub, a handful of us, maybe four, five, six of us, just went to a pub regularly, once a week. Just to watch the big game or to, to join the pub quiz. Right? And do you know what we're going to do it? To have fun. That's what we're going to go. We're going to go there to have fun. To enjoy ourselves. Isn't that good? Eh? It's brilliant. Eh? But while we're there, we're going to wait for an opportunity to serve and to display the power of God. Because that's all that Jesus did. He just went to a party. Right? It, could, it could have been a pub, it could have been anything. He just went there and he just waited for an opportunity to arrive. And that's all I'm asking us to do. Is to go, have fun, enjoy, meet new people, have good fun, you know, and just be ourselves and just pour out God's love whenever we can. And that's simple as that. And we can ask while we're there, we ask the Holy Spirit to come upon that place. Now it's great that we ask the Holy Spirit to come upon our church when we come to meetings. But come on, let's go to a pub and ask God's Holy Spirit to come upon that pub. I'm sure he wouldn't mind. I'm absolutely sure he wouldn't mind. Okay, finally, I'm going to finish with this. And I'm going to ask you a question. And this is where I do get into trouble, so let me drink this first. Right. Do we believe this stuff? Do we really, really believe it? If we don't, fine, let's just carry on as we are sing our songs and worry about what we're going to do and what God may ask us to do and live in our lives as we want to. But if we really believe it, if we really, really believe it, let's put it into practice. Let's take Jesus by the hand and go out those walls. Okay, let's take him by the hand. Now we may have seen amazing things happen and we might be yelling, yeah, I know what God's done in my life and I know what he's done in the past. What's he going to do in the future? Let's take Jesus by the hand. And let Jesus be glorified through us. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk.